Thanks, Barry. Again, good morning and welcome. We are so glad that you are here. Um, I want to challenge you this morning to grab some notes and to put your thinking cap on this morning. This could either be an amazing teaching you're about to hear or a complete disaster. And so I'm going to challenge you to start with your thinking caps on today because we're going to dive deep into Paul. So I want you to think about this. Imagine you're sitting down at Brown Bag at the coffee shop or maybe you're at the Bucket or the Canadian restaurant. Maybe you've been talking to Shella down there on a Sunday morning and she's her bubbly self. And behind you, you can't help but kind of overhear somebody behind you. Two guys are talking and you don't mean to eavesdrop, but you hear them say the following words. You hear them say, we're going to go in there and we're going to take them out. Well, that gets your attention. All of a sudden, you come awake, your coffee starts to really take over your body. That phrase gets your attention. You can't see the guys behind you. They're behind you. You don't remember them coming in. So what does that sentence mean? Because it can mean a whole lot of things. We're going to go in there and we're going to take them out. So I want to show you guys how many different ways this could go on. Could be different meanings from what people are wearing. So first of all, what if you heard this from a couple of coaches? Kids, if you'll come on up, teens, sorry calling you kids. If coaches were to say this, one of them injured for some reason. <laughs> come on up here, I'll get out of y'all's way. It might sound a little different than just overhearing it. We're going to go in there. We're going to take them out. <laughs> okay. So coaches, it has one context, right? What if it was construction workers sitting behind you? Oh, you guys got to stay up here. Don't leave yet. Sorry, Luke. <laughs> Coach Luke. Construction workers. <laughs> We're going to go in there. We're going to take them out. <laughs> okay. And finally, maybe it's some guys in black ties that work for the mafia. <laughs> whose shirt just doesn't quite fit. We're going to go in there and we're going to take them out. <laughs> okay. Now, thank you. Now, y'all hang out for just a second. Each one of these has a different meaning behind it, right? You hear that from a group of coaches, and the context dictates, well, they're probably talking about a team. I don't know why they're wearing their headset in the bucket, but they are, right? That has a context, or construction workers. Addie didn't seem too excited about it, but maybe they're removing a floor or a wall or some studs or something, right? They're going to go in there, and they're going to take them out. Or finally, if you turn around and it looks like a couple mafia guys, you might want to call 911 <laughs> because something is going on. But the point is this, and this is where we're going to get to today. I want you guys to know this from our three different contexts. As we get into Paul this morning in Ephesians chapter 1, words don't mean anything, Right? You need to know this. This is helpful for reading the Bible. It's helpful for any kind of conversation. Words don't mean anything. People mean things by their use of words. 
Give these guys a round of applause. Y'all can go on down. You can stay suited up if you want to. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I would like to see the construction hats all service, but they've already been removed. So here's what we're going to do today. Each one of these sayings, each word used by Paul has a specific, specific meaning. Words don't mean things. People mean things by their use of words. And let's remember that as we get into Paul's aha letter, his letter to the Ephesians, where if you were here last week, you heard some things. And if you didn't hear last week's message, please go to our podcast and download that and listen to it. Not because I need the help. I just want you guys to be all on the same page. Because what we heard last week is that Ephesians, if you weren't here, Ephesians is a letter written to many churches in and around that valley that goes to the harbor town of Ephesus. And what Paul is trying to say to these people is he has had an apocalypse, not in the use of the word that we use it, meaning a prophecy about the end of the world, but an apocalypse, a revelation. The word simply means in Greek an unveiling or a drawing back of the curtain. And Paul's apocalypse is this, that those on the inside and the outside now have a direct route in Christ to know God. That is the thing that has changed everything about him. And Paul believes that in reading this letter, we should too have an aha moment, a realization that heaven can be experienced now in Christ, that we live in the in-between where heaven and earth collide. And today what we're going to do is jump into chapter 1, 3 through 14, and it is going to rock your socks. So let's pray, and I cannot wait to give this uh, teaching today. Paul blows my mind, and I hope he does yours today. Let's grab a hand, and let's ask God to bless us. Father God, we want what you want. So Holy Spirit, come. Come and invade our hearts and our minds. Draw those of us who are far, draw us near. Draw those of us who are callous to be soft. And draw those of us who are in a rut out of that rut. God, we lift up our friends this morning at First Baptist Church. Lift up Matt Phoenix and his wife and all the work they do over there and so many of our friends that attend and worship there. God, bless them. We pray for your glory and your will to be done in that church body. And God, we pray for that here today too. We pray for you to launch us out, to use us, for us to have a witness again, for us to have an aha moment here, for us to tune in to what you're saying to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So if you go to Ephesians chapter 1, what you have is an opening poem. Chapters, or verses 3 through 14. It's on page 798 if you picked up one of our Bibles in the back. But it is the section of scripture that is the longest run-on sentence in your entire Bible. English teachers rejoice. It is a crazy run-on sentence. It's a sentence so long that it has 257 words. The Gettysburg Address only has 272 words. This thing is massive. It is one run-on sentence that if you were to use this type of grammar that Paul uses 
in high school English or in your college English composition class, you would get a big fat D, maybe an F, because it is terrible grammar. But to Paul, it is a poetic run-on sentence to say something about Jesus. And I want to read it as a whole so you hear it as a whole and try to pick up on what Jesus, what is being proclaimed about Jesus and what Paul is saying. It is insane. It is intense. This is heavy. It's poetic. And it goes like this. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to trust or to first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also are included in Christ. You heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Huh? <laughs> right? That is heavy. There's so many words in there. That is some sentence. There's so much. And you may be going, hold up, Jake, there's sentences, or there's periods, and there's commas, and there seems to be endings of sentences in my translation. Well, that was added to this one run-on run sentence in Greek in order to make it readable to English translations. And this thing is so dense and heavy that it seems that no matter how many times you read it, the first time or the hundredth time, it can make you go, wait, what? It's mesmerizing. It's confusing. Well, what we're going to do today is try to make sense of Paul's opening poem. And what we're going to try to do today is to remember that words don't mean anything. Only the people who use words mean things things by their words. So our, story, our question we have to ask about Paul is who was Paul? And what did he mean when he used words like chosen and predestined and elected? And what did he mean when he kept saying in Christ and in him and those things? Because Paul was not a construction worker, nor was he a member of the Jewish mafia. Paul was a educated Jewish rabbi and a tent maker who had his life completely turned upside down by Jesus Christ. And Paul, and this is really insightful, hopefully hang on to this the rest of your life. 
Paul was steeped in scripture and nothing he ever said in his letters wasn't connected to scripture. Now you may think in the whole Bible. No, his scripture was what? The Old Testament. What we call the Old Testament. What the Jews call the Tanakh. Nothing he ever said. He never wasted a word. It's all tied to his understanding of that story, the Old Testament, leading to the aha of Jesus has come. So Paul, being steeped in Scripture, uses these heavy words, heavy Jewish words like blessed and chose us and predestined and adopted and graced and inherited, these heavy religious words. He also, in this, in this section of Scripture, he uses phrases that sound like temple, praise songs. Three times he says, to the praise of his glorious grace in those 11 or 12 verses. And our hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. He repeats that in, in verses 12 and 14. And then throughout this time, not wasting a word, he 11 times, almost as many as there are verses, he repeats the same phrase in just different ways. This is all because of the Messiah, through the Messiah, in him, through Jesus, in whom, in whom, in him, in Messiah Jesus, over and over. Right? <laughs> Not trying to put you to sleep. Hang with me. Because this is a crazy passage. And what I want to do is make some sense of all these heavy words, like chosen and predestined. But we have to remember that when Paul is using these words, he is using these words to fulfill the aha. He is trying to show them, you are now part of an ongoing story in Christ. That because of the resurrection, we are not talking about a story that has finished we are talking about a story that continues through Ephesus and even up to October 10th, 2021. About what has happened to the people who have been chosen in Christ. But we get messed up by words like that, don't we? We get messed up with words like chosen and predestined. I put out on the sign this week as a funny thing that you were, it said you were chosen to read this sign, right? I wanted people to think about this. I put that on Facebook. What do you at, What do you think of when you hear the word predestined or chosen? And man, it was hard for me not to get into a theological debate, but I do know this about Facebook. Nobody's ever had their mind changed on Facebook, ever. So I wasn't going to do that. But what we're gonna do this morning is work on that because it's important. And this isn't a sermon that's gonna say, oh, wow, I'm really, Jake really gave me something to do today. What this sermon's gonna be about this morning is how Paul is reminding us of a new reality. But to do that, we need to think about a couple things. And this is why the giant whiteboard was down here. I had no idea this was this big until, until I wheeled this, or Barry, and Barry helped me wheel this down here. This thing is huge. We gotta get this out of the way for Mark's baptism. Nobody will see it, right? This thing is massive, but this is gonna help us this morning. And it's gonna help us because what we often think of is we have a story of what we think the Bible is. And so I'm gonna do two drawings this morning. And number one is the, is the drawing of what we believe scripture is about, okay? 
And it's helpful drawing. This first one is helpful, but it's not going to be correct. It's going to be the thing that we think it's about, but it's only partly true. So here's what we think uh, Scripture is about. Drawing number one is we think the Scripture is about God, which is correct, who created me. And if we came from a certain, maybe different area, we may even say we. Okay? That's what we think Scripture is about. God and me. And when I open Scripture, I'm looking for the story of God and me. And if we know Scripture really well, we know that the story of Scripture is that God and me, I, as I have lived my life, have done some pretty bad things. And in that story of God and me, I introduce the big old S-I-N, the S word, sin. Oh, some of y'all thought of a different S word. Shame on you. All right? God and me. I was thinking of shut up. <laughs> okay? God and me. When we sin, we think the story of the Bible is, uh-oh, I have messed up. Now, because of my sin, I have to go to the bad place, which we call H-E double hockey sticks. Hell. Right? But... Thanks be to God, the story of the Bible is that Jesus steps in and overcomes sin, and instead of me going to hell, I can now go to the good place, which is heaven, okay? And that's basically what we think the story of the Bible is. Now, why I'm bringing this up is because Paul used language that makes us very uncomfortable or makes us confused because what he kept saying over and over in chapter, chapter 1, 3 through 14 is we were chosen and we were predestined. And so what we do with those, that language, I'm going to put predestined up here. Okay, predestined is what we do with that is we start to read verses like that and we miss Paul's context. We miss who Paul was because we start to go, uh-oh, the story is that all of us are either going to, because of our sin or because we put Jesus on in baptism and accepted him as our Savior, we either go into heaven or hell. But then we start thinking about words like chosen and predestined, and we start thinking, uh-oh, was all this already decided? That's the problem with what Paul is saying. Anybody feel that tension when you've read this or read it this past week? You're like, oh, am I chosen or predestined? And the reason we get confused about this passage is because we believe that those who are chosen before time, whoever God created to chosen, they'll end up in heaven. And those he chose to go to hell, well, they can't do anything about it. They were just born to be matchsticks. And that is not actually the story. We get that story because we think Paul is wearing our clothes. We think he's a 21st century reader of the Bible like we are. We think he's sitting in the booth, dressed like us, acting like us with our worldview. And that is not Paul. Paul actually has a whole other story in mind. And this is story number two. I'll even make it a different color. That'll keep you entertained. All right. <laughs> story number two is actually the story of the Bible. And again, uh, I don't know if I said this before, but I'll say it now. This is way oversimplified, okay? So if you're like, Jake, you left out a lot of details, you false teacher. Shut it, all right? This is way oversimplified, okay? <laughs> all right? This is to get things down to just the nuts and bolts, okay? 
So here's story number two. Story number two is this, is that God created humanity, right? He created humanity, and humanity was Adam plus Eve. A couple of people we find out in Genesis 1 and 2 whose name means dirt man and life, or guess what that means? Human life. Humanity, Genesis 1 and 2. And the story of the Bible goes like this. Humanity, instead of choosing to be the blessing they were supposed to be, Genesis 1, 24, when God makes humanity, Adam and Eve, he blesses them to be a blessing. But instead of being this blessing with God walking with them, and we better put God in this story, right? Because it is about him, God and humanity. With them blessing each other, what they do is they choose their own way. They sin. They bring chaos. They mess it up. But out of that chaos, God's going to do something. So by Genesis chapter 11, you have the height of what chaos is. Chaos in Genesis chapter 11 is this little place called Babel. It's empire building. It's us choosing our own way and saying, we want what we want, God. We're going to make a name for ourselves. But it's interesting, the story goes, stick with me for just three more minutes and we're going to get there. The story goes like this. God calls and he chooses a man out of Ur of Mesopotamia, which is another word for Babel. <laughs> and his name is, you guys know him? Abe, right? Abram or Abraham, or we're going to call him Abe today, okay? Uh, more honest Abe, all right? And Abraham is chosen out of this group of people to do something. He's chosen to be a blessing. Here's what God says to him. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your people and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. Listen to these words. And I will bless you. You should be thinking, Genesis 1, 24. You were made to be blessed. I will bless you, and, I, and you will be a blessing. Genesis 1, 24. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And then listen to this last verse. And out of all peoples on earth, I will, will be blessed through you, or I will bless all peoples on earth through you. How other translations say it. So what happens here? Does Abraham do this really good? Yeah, he's kind of a scoundrel from time to time, right? He's okay, but out of Abraham comes who? Israel, right? We're going to fast forward big time. Out of Abraham comes this promised people who are, fill the world, and they fill up a whole nation of Egypt, and they are the promised people. And God tells them, you're going to be a blessing. That's Exodus 19. You're going to be a nation of priests. You're going to go do great things. But how do they do? terrible, right? At best, they're inconsistent. At worst, yeah, they're bad, right? There's some kings that do good, David and some others like Hezekiah, and there's some that do some, some come around and make it work. But for the most part, this group of people is a mess. So by that time in the story, what you have is you have chosen people who are blessed to be a blessing, who are now cursing to be a cursing. There's a double problem here. So fast forward in the story. What's God do about it? 
God then starts to use, towards the end of what we call the Old Testament, he starts to use people called prophets. And these prophets start to think about and start to dream about a man who will come, who they call the anointed king, what we call the Messiah. And in him, they start to say, all this, he will be our chosen one who will restore blessing back to humanity. This guy, we know. He's written about in a lot of places. I want to show you one, Psalm 72, 17. Here's the hope that you get from the Israelites. They start going, man, we've messed this thing up. We were supposed to be the chosen ones, the blessed ones. And it says this about the Messiah. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all, uh-uh, listen, y'all, y'all that are with me, what's it, what, they're repeating what? Then all nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. That is Genesis 12, Abraham language, right there. So what is the Messiah supposed to do? It's not this story that the Messiah just came and some of us were predestined to go to heaven or hell and we can't really do anything about it. The Messiah is chosen so that everybody, including Israel and all of humanity, including Gentiles, can be a blessing. Now, y'all with me on that? Okay. So here's why that's important. Here's why that's important. I know that's a lot, and you're like, Jake, that is, that is, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, let's get back to our text. Because what Paul believes, his aha, is that that Messiah guy in purple down there is Jesus Christ himself. That he fulfills completely the story of Israel. And nothing he says in the text is a wasted word. It's all connected to the Old Testament. And so listen again to Ephesians 1, 3 through 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That sounds a lot like Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The blessing has been restored. Blessed in him, blessed through him. And then Paul goes on, like we talked about earlier, to repeat this 11 times. So what does Paul mean? What does he mean when he uses words like he chose us in him before the creation of the world? That he predestined us? Well, it's not what we think. We get hung up on who's in and who's out, where the line is drawn. And, and I'm thankful that the Church of Christ is part of a tradition that doesn't believe in determinism or Calvinism or some people being chosen and some not because that is not biblical. What Paul means is this, is that predestination and chosen isn't about something that God did before he created people it's that as people messed up, God continues to choose the few or the one out of the many so that all could be blessed. You see what he's doing? Election or predestining is that God chooses the few out of the many so that through the one or the many, he can restore his blessing back to everyone. That's what it is. And why does that matter? Why Everybody's going, why does that matter? Oh, it matters. Because what Paul has just said to us is when you believed in him, 
You got brought into the chosen. It's him who is chosen. It's him who is predestined. And you are brought into his way of life. How do I know that's true? Well, check this out. Verse 13. There's a switch here in verse 13. In verses 1 through 12 of Ephesians 1, or 3 through 12, Paul has used the word we, we, we. He's got an audience in mind. Who would Paul's we audience be? Jews, right? Then here in verse 13, he switches, and he says to the Gentiles, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. Predestination and choosing is not about God deciding beforehand who is going to be saved. Predestined and choosing is about the plan and the story. Story number two of God choosing the one out of the many so that all can be saved. You with me on that? Now you might say, well, Jake, that is so theological for a Sunday morning. I get it. Humor me, okay? This is fun for me, all right? Also, the only time he talks about being saved is right here in verse 13. When you believed, you were marked in him. In who? The chosen one. The one who God called out of the many to bless everyone. So, there are not some people who are born to be matchsticks and some who are born and can't help it. They're just going to end up in paradise with God. The biblical story is so different. I'll ask you one more story to drive, or one more question to drive the point home. Could someone be a part of Israel without being born an Israelite? The answer is yes. Can someone be a Christian and in Christ without being born in a Christian family? Yes. Why? Because God has chosen the Christian movement that we call the church to be a blessing to the world. And how are we that blessing? We live in and through Christ. When we believed, we were brought into him. We were included in the chosen one. And that is so important because to launch us into this book, Paul is not giving some riddle about who is in and who is out, who goes up and who goes down, who goes to the good place and who goes to the bad place. It's not about God being a predeterminate God who destines people for torture in hell. It's good news, the letter is good, and it begins with what is true about those who have come to Christ. And so instead of giving y'all something to do, I wanna just close very quickly with three truths that we can all walk out of here with. Three truths that are in verse three through 14. Reminders that we need. Truths that we need to be thankful for. Aha moments for us that we can go, I am so glad that is true today. And they may, and I've been praying that these three truths strike at your heart today. Because number one, it's this. What Paul's reminded it of as this, and this is, this is so needed post-pandemic. Shannon, I appreciate your words about, man, we feel so divided, but it's at this table we can be united again. And what Paul's saying to us in verses three through 14 is this, is in Christ we have everything we need. Man, I wish, I wish there was a pill we could give people <laughs> that would teach them that all the things we're chasing after all the things in the world that we think will give us satisfaction, 
elderly people in here, older people in here, people that have lived life in here, you know those things don't satisfy. The truth is we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Or in other words, we have everything we need. There's no other place. He's enough for you in your insecurities. He's enough for your weakness and your temptations. He's enough for you guys in your doubt. I haven't said this in a while. Let it be said again. Doubt of your faith is not bad. Doubt as you walk with Christ is a companion to your faith. Those who don't ask questions don't have faith. They have assurance. And they're not the same thing. I walk with Jesus because I have everything I need in him. And number two, Paul's reminding us, if you're in Christ, you have nothing to lose. He calls it an inheritance. You have this inheritance in Christ. An inheritance is something that's given to you and you don't earn it, right? You just get it. My dad is spending all my inheritance on cars. I will get nothing. <laughs> he buys these nice cars, and I'm like, why are you driving it? He's like, because I bought it. And I'm like, I don't want you to drive it. I want to sell it when you die. <laughs> right? Hello, Father. <laughs> um, but it's an, an inheritance from Christ is something that doesn't spoil or fade. It's coming from Christ. So we have nothing to lose. You can be bold in your faith. You have nothing to lose. You can, be, you can be courageous. You can step out in faith. You can do things for Christ because you have been brought into the chosen one. It's not your faith and your ability that saves you. It's not your faithfulness. It's not your ability or your good deeds that saves you. You have nothing to lose because the one who has saved you never loses and never sinned and never messed up. That's where our confidence comes. And number three, because we have nothing to lose, we have absolutely everything to share. This is good news, church. This is such good news. I'm afraid we're entering a phase of Christianity, it seems like, in our country where we've lost touch with the core of what it means to share good news church is about argument or it's about political affiliation or it's about me being right and you being wrong it's about outsiders versus insiders as Shannon was talking about but that's not good news the good news is the one Messiah has come so that all could be saved and that's worth sharing and if it's good news for you it there in turn should be good news for your neighbor and for your coworkers and your friends. So I don't know how that lands on you today. Whew. I'm glad to get through that sermon. I had to preach it. Um, but we got some good news to finish with. Mark's going to be baptized here in a minute. But if you need anything today, if you want to just join in saying, I just need prayers today. Or if I just, if you have a private concern that you don't want shared, but you want to just come and talk to us about it or talk to an elder in the back about it, do that. Or if you just want to be convicted about these three things and say, man, I, I'm struggling with, with being convicted of these things. Let's pray about that. Let's talk to God about that. This is good news, guys. This church has a lot going for them. 
and uh, love having y'all here today. Uh, we have every blessing. Every good in the world is in here. Every good in the world is in this building, but so is every evil. Let's choose correctly, right? Let's choose Christ. Let's stand together and let's sing.